0: Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Terrific hour for you in store. Ryan Russillo, we bounce all around the NBA. LeBron James, 2019 free agency, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard's futures, and a lot more. Here's my visit with Ryan Russillo. Welcome into Ryan Russillo. Ryan, how are you, man?
1: I'm great, Woj. Thanks for having me on.
0: Well, thanks for jumping in. I, well, now it's, you know, it's funny. Like I started at ESPN and we were together there for a while and we'd gotten to know each other a little bit before I started. And then you were sort of gone, but not completely gone, but now you're back. So welcome back.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know it, it is, it's kind of funny. Um, but I've been under contract this whole time. You know, I was still doing the podcast and you know, I started doing some more TV shows and just recently I was back in New York doing get up for a week and. You know, it all, it all worked out. It, it really did. I'm, I've always lived in New England my whole life, whether it was high school, growing up, uh, college, and then the last decade in Connecticut. And so I, I knew I wanted to try something different and move to Los Angeles, move to this area that I wanted to do. I uh, you know, uh, not to turn this into a, a credit role here, but I just, you know, Connor Schell and, and Rob Savinelli and those guys at ESPN, they were like, look, do you want to just figure something out here? Cause if we all still like each other, let's, let's try to, <laughs> let's try to figure something out. So, uh, we did. and and that's great. And then the Bill Simmons element too is, is huge he's out here in LA and he's a guy that, you know, I've known from my first days in radio. Uh, and obviously reading him going back, you know, 15, 16 years for me. So here I am. And yeah, it was funny because, you know, we didn't really know each other until the ESPN thing. And then we met. And then I had so many GMs say, Hey, you're, you know, you may not know him at all and just read him, but when you meet him, you're going to like him. And you've been awesome to me. So I appreciate it, man.
0: Nah, I appreciate it. Now moving out to LA and, you know, it's funny. My wife and I lived. We lived in Fresno for two and a half years when I covered Tark. Uh, Andy Katz and I covered Tark at the Fresno B late nineties. And now Fresno was like sort of a Midwestern city dropped in the middle of California, but, but we were halfway between LA and San Francisco when you got around and that was my time living in California. But I tell you what, like living in LA, you know, we just went on vacation out there for a week last week. And the more I'm out there, the more like, I always just thought, you know, I love visiting LA, I'm not sure, I, I, I kind of like still being in the Northeast, and I like, we like being in the Northeast, but man, once you get out there, it's hard to leave. It, it is hard to leave.
1: I've been coming out here for work and in some of these other projects pretty regularly. You know, we usually one, three, four months I've been out here, and then... Know, three years ago, I thought maybe I was going to take an offer and move out here, and then you know I had the radio show, and that's a really important thing to me, and you know all the time you put into it. So I go, you know, the radio thing is still more important than anything else. Uh, and I never, I never had a problem with New England. You know, maybe the way some of the other ESPN people I worked with have, you know, some people that are coming from all over the country, they just don't like New England, and I like New England. I like the old towns, I like the, the history, and you know I'm a New England guy, but. The more I kept coming out here, same thing. I was like, man, I really kind of like it. And for anybody, and this will maybe lead to the Kauai thing we get into a little bit later, but the story for me is, you know, growing up, especially being kind of a Massachusetts kid, we hate everything and we hate everything we don't even know. So I just assumed, oh, New York's the worst. And then you start hanging out in New York City after college, you go, you know what? This is actually kind of great. And then you go out to L.A., (laughs) and I was like, oh, traffic, smog, it's awful. Well, no, it isn't. And one of my friends who I went to. Vermont with, who's an NHL player. His name's Aaron Miller. He played a bunch of years. He was the Avalanche for, yeah. for a long time. And he, unfortunately for him, he was like the most sandwiched pro athlete around two titles I've ever seen. Because just as he came up, I think he was drafted by Quebec. He was with the Avs. And then he wasn't active for the Stanley Cup final the first time they won it. So he didn't get his name on the cup. And he could have, but he was like, I'm not supposed to, because I didn't play. So he didn't do it. And then right at the end of the NHL trade deadline it used to be literally like two weeks to go in the season they traded he and uh, Adam Deadmarsh, who was a pretty good player, to the Kings for Rob Blake to add like a scoring defenseman. So my friend was miserable. He's like, "Oh man, L.A." And we were bummed out. So he's like, "Why don't you come out and visit?" And we were hanging out in different pockets in L.A. And I was like, nah, "I don't really get it." We went to Staples Center, Lakers-Wizards game, and you know we hung out in that little cool room underneath. And I still was like, "I don't really know if I like it." And he goes, "Well, look, we're supposed to check out this place where a lot of the Kings live. It's called Manhattan Beach. So why don't we cruise down there for the day?" And as soon as we were walking around, I, I was blown away. Yep. I went, this is this is amazing. So it's always kind of been in the back of my head for a long time. Like, if I could ever pull things together and pull something off, that's where I would want to live. And that's the thing you learn about Los Angeles is that even though everybody's very protective and almost defensive of which part of L.A. they live in, <laughs> whether it's Malibu people or was Hollywood or people in the Valley or different areas along the coast, like, you find the place that you like, and it doesn't – I don't feel like I live in Los Angeles – but when I have to go in and do something, you know, it's right there. Now, granted, some days it's, it takes a little while to get there, but that's the thing. You find you find the area that you feel like you fit in, and and you just make it work. And that's that's kind of the diversity of the area. I mean, it's so big, but there's there's basically a different kind of vibe mm-hmm. you can find. Like, if, if you want a certain thing, you'll find it out here because so many of the towns are different.
0: I heard something about you actually playing some pickup ball in L.A. Like, are you going to... Venice Beach? Are you going like white man can't jump? Like are you going out? You finding players in L.A. to play with? Uh, my, I took my son over to UCLA one day, and it was like watching an NBA All Star game, right? It was Paul George and Kevin Durant was there that day, and uh, Julius Randall, Rudy Gobert, Dante Exum, Buddy Healed, and and then the UCLA players, and in fact. And I'm walking around UCLA, like just – and it's it's unbelievable, right? Like it's just the campus. It you really wonder great. how not yeah. every player decides to go. And they get – I mean, they generally get who they want. But they got a new practice facility, and then there's Pauley Pavilion. And, you, you know, like I said, you go in the men's gym, and, you know, the UCLA players get to run with – you know, the NBA guys are coming through. And I, I texted Mark Schmidt, who's the coach at St. Bonaventure, and I said, let me just tell you what an even greater – and I've been around there enough to know, but, like, it just hit me again, like – my little school beat these guys in the NCAA tournament. Like I appreciated it even more. Like (laughs) that just shouldn't happen.
1: But where where are you playing is what I'm I'm asking. I'm hanging on. So I had a, you know, I was one of those um, frustrated, it didn't work out basketball players. Uh, I never played in a game that mattered. And I, for whatever reason, like my late twenties, early thirties, I started really, really dedicating myself to it and playing in in pretty good pickup games in Boston. Well, you know, I wouldn't embarrass myself if I was playing with some guy that played in college. But I will, I will never be invited to that UCLA run. No, a I game, would imagine that, No, you know, if some days you, you can feel it in the legs and you go, "Hey, I'm going to be all right today." And there's other days you go, so "That was a mistake." So I had a, <laughs> a I had a, you know, shoot around the other day, and some younger guys were like, "Hey, do you want to run fives? And I went, I looked around, I go, nobody's big. I was like, "Yes, absolutely, I'm in." <laughs> So, um, so my dad will call because, you know, he played, uh for a little bit of college at home. He calls and he goes, are you still playing? And then he'll want to know, like, how did it go? Uh, because, you know, when I was still living in Connecticut, I would go and play with guys, you know, 20 years younger than me. And it would always be funny because, you know, you set a screen and you box out or you try to McHale somebody in the post. Make, you know, younger kids are like, what are you doing? Like, what is this? Like, take it easy. <laughs> so you try to...
0: You become that older guy in the pickup games... There's always the older guys and now you're that guy, right? Getting physical. I can't, maybe I can't go past you, but I'm going to use my body. Um, <laughs> and, and of course, yeah, none yeah. of these guys are used to playing. The game's different. It's just different now, right? Everyone's just, you know, playing three point line to three point line and jacking
1: threes. That's what, you know, the game is. Yeah. It was always hard. Like as a Tarzan host, nobody really cares. And we, we always had this term, Vantel and I called like softball stat guy. You know, you'd be at a barbecue, and some guy, you know, would show up, and maybe he wasn't your closest friend, maybe he's an uncle, or maybe he's the boyfriend of one of the girls that's in your group, and he's like, oh, "I went six for eight the other day." You know, <laughs> no one cares, man. So I was always, you know, I always kind of knew that nobody really cared, but I've always thought that one of the, the great things about still playing pickup hoops is you see how somebody like Steph Curry influences the way the game is being played, because you know, I mean, guys took threes. But because Steph is who he is and it's so impressive and there's, there's no range limit for him, that's what kids do. And, you know, some big kids, too. You know, it's handle, it's handle, and then it's pull-up from way behind the NBA line, and nobody hits it, <laughs> and everybody's okay with it. Like, guys take shots in pickup games now where I go, we, we would have gotten an old fight if we didn't know each other because you can't believe your shot selection. But that's kind of what, not only what the NBA has transitioned to, It's very clear, like as as a younger kid and seeing and wanting to play that way, like I'll go to pick up games now and I I can't believe the way guys will play, but that's the way it's played. So yeah, when you start asking for it in the post, people will think you're weird. Like what do you, why would you want a post possession? (laughs) I think that's only worth one point. (laughs) That's exactly right.
0: Well, Ryan, speaking of LA and speaking of the men's gym at UCLA, there was a photo that made its rounds the other last week on LeBron and KD and Kawhi Leonard, right, was standing right in the middle of it and, you know, it's funny, he's been, no one, he only played nine games last year, no one really saw much of him and I think everybody forgot how big his hands were, right? Like the, those yeah, claws right. and they were, there they were like covering the basketball like it was a Nerf ball. That I think will be, free agency next year will be interesting because I think obviously there's a lot of players who are coming up on it who can opt out of deals or just straight free agents and, you know, and I think more than maybe in recent years, there's a sense a lot of these guys could potentially move teams, and Kawhi will be at the top of that, and there's teams who have more than one max spot, so teams like the Clippers who can create two max spots, you know, the Lakers and, and Knicks would have one, and Brooklyn would have two, and so there's chances for team for guys to partner up, But of course, even if you don't have space, you can make deals. If, if two guys say they want to come, you can Create space, even though you know. So, there'll be lots of talk about that all year, but I think it starts with Kawhi, and I think right now, you know, Toronto, and they knew this. They knew it when they traded for him. Like their work is cut out for them. And I will say this: I I went out to see Paul George just a few days after his trade to Oklahoma City last year. I sat down and did like a Sports Center interview with him, and he'd only been there maybe five days, six days, maybe even less. And it was clear to me that they had made a tremendous impression on him and that they really were in it. And I think he was a little miffed that the Lakers weren't more aggressive with Indiana, that they didn't try to trade for him and get him then. And that once he got to Oklahoma City, he just had a good feel about the way they welcomed him in. He likes to fish. He could go do that there. Westbrook, right away, you knew they had a chance. And part of it, too, is I think Paul's personality. He's engaging. He's going to tell you how he feels. He said it right in the interview initially. You know, he was saying it, and and you knew this about Paul. He had been in a city in Indiana where you know he knew that you don't want to lead a town on, make them think you're staying, and then you leave, and you leave a lot of hard feelings. And he was so positive all year long. And this was a guy who'd been through that. You knew they had a real chance. It's not going to be like that with Kawhi. You're going to hear from him very little, and even if he's feeling that, he's not necessarily going to express it. Or at least in the past, that's not been his. His thing. I think the mystery around that will be more. I think LA for him, Lakers or Clippers, you know, both have a real chance at him. And I think there's both are going to be able to make different cases to him. But I do think it'll be the biggest
1: story in the league all year. Yeah. And we'll try to figure out every little thing. And you're right. Because the way the information's come out from Kawhi's side with the uncle, it was always kind of sporadic. And, um, you know, I, I felt like if they really, really wanted to go to the Lakers, I think. You know, maybe they could have been more vocal about that instead of preventing somebody. But then you look at Masai and Toronto and you probably feel like, okay, we've we've run this group out there. And even though LeBron's moved on, we we feel like a huge disappointment after 59 wins, playing that poorly and getting swept against Cleveland. Like, even if we can't keep Kawhi, let's just shake this thing up. And I I think sometimes the media and fans will be like, okay, they'll blow this team up, blow up that team. I'll always say, like, we'll blow it up for what, though? Load it. Like, there's one thing to hit the reset button, but you get got to tell me when I'm come, bring it back. And if you're bringing it back, what's a top five player, and I expect it's going to be healthy, then then maybe it's worth it. So I could kind of, when that deal happened, well, I would have to talk myself in and out of it all the time. Uh, but kind of back to, like, relating this to thinking you know of an area when I lived in the East Coast and then thinking I had all these things understood, and then you move and experience it. Like, that's the thing I think you have to remember with the Kawhi story and also about the Paul George thing. I think is growing up, like, food you thought you hated and then tried places you never wanted to go to, and then you sample people you thought you'd never be friends with, and then you get to know them, and you go, I really like that guy. That's something I think is just human nature that we have to remind ourselves of, because for the longest time, like, I can't believe Oklahoma City would do this thing with Paul George, even though Ola Depot at the time wasn't what it became with the Pacers, and so you understood the risk, and them trying to put this thing together, and this kind of arms race that's gone on, especially in the Western Conference, where, you know, I don't... Like the idea that, okay, I'm just going to play the assets for one year round because it worked out for Paul George. But if you feel confident about your culture, your organization, then maybe we'll see more of this stuff. Because you go, okay, you can have an opinion of Toronto, but maybe you'll actually like it. Uh, it's still hard for me to sit here today and bet on Toronto being the favorite, but there's something to be said of, of having your mind made up before you've ever even experienced it. And I think that's what this year is going to be about for the Raptors and him.
0: Yeah, and fan base is tremendous there, and every guy who's played there, especially in this era when they've been really good, and, you know, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, and, you know, they played a big part of being the two cornerstone guys, and to elevate that team, that organization to places it hadn't been in the postseason, getting out of the first round, and, you know, this year having the best record in the East, even though they didn't, you know, they got swept in the second round. It's a great place to play in that way, but...
1: Could I ask you a question? Yeah. About- about, because you said Paul George was myth that the Lakers didn't, they didn't come after him when they could have traded for him. And when that was even a possibility, and I'm going, okay, well wouldn't you trade the number two pick now knowing you can lock up Paul George? Because what are the odds of the number two pick ends up becoming as good as Paul George? But what happens is you get greedy, uh, whether the front office, but especially the fan base, you go, know, whatever, we're going to get Paul George for free next year. And that's why they didn't do that. it. That's,
0: that's why right. they didn't do it. Yeah. They so thought they'd get him.
1: Are the Lakers at all cautious about like your whole plan? that you think you're going to execute next year with Kawhi well you just thought you were going to do it with somebody else, and you didn't do it. And today, you'd rather have Paul George and the Lakers than Lonzo. So I, I actually think it is a real thing. Like, there'd be times I thought if I, you know, if you're ever, not that this is ever going to happen, but if you're ever running a basketball team, you know, you know, I know I'd like to get greedy and have both assets, but a lot of times I'd rather just have this guy in here and control it, knowing he's the better player, and just get it over with. I think it's a tough one.
0: It is. And, you know, I think the Pacers would have done a deal either if they'd gotten Brandon Ingram or a package that included the number two pick, which obviously turned out to be Lonzo Ball. Now, you know, the Pacers, who knows who they would have taken second. So either of those would have gotten a deal done for Paul George. And listen, Indiana, like the Spurs, I mean, they weren't dying to do a deal with the Lakers, but they weren't going to not do a deal with the Lakers out of this feeling of, well, that's where the guy wants to go. I'm not going to send him where he wants to go. I think if all things are equal, you'd probably send him somewhere else. But Sure. You're gonna in the end you got to get the best deal you can for your team because that's all that really matters. And so Toronto for the Spurs represented by far the best offer that was out there for them and you know and I think besides sees it this way in Toronto is let's think the worst case scenario. They whatever happens with the team, they get to the second round, they get to a conference final, they get to a final and he leaves, doesn't matter. Then they're in a position now where they'll probably start to rebuild that team. Then you've got Lowry and Ibaka going into the last year of their deals. Messiah, had all the contracts set up that way where they were all going to come off in the same year. And at that point, then um, you're going to with Anna Noby and Fred Van Vliet. And, you know, we'll see what happens with Val Shunis, uh, who's a little bit of an old, not an old player, but an older player that probably would rebuild their team. But I think their thought was if we're not good enough next year anyway, and even with Demar, we probably would have done the same thing anyway. So The idea that, first of all, DeMar and Kyle Lowry, like, they've not been untouchables there. They've been in trade talks before. Toronto's talked about those guys with lots of teams. Like, there's only three or four players in the league who are never in trade talks. Everybody else is. And so I think that was the calculated risk for Toronto. And, you know, they'll try to make their case to keep them. But I think what will be interesting to me, if I'm the Clippers, this is what I hope happens in L.A. I hope that the Lakers are a circus, that, You know the guys they brought in around LeBron. That I don't know if drama will be the word. I don't know if it'll be drama, but it'll be who knows how it goes with all those guys and the way it looks and issues with whatever. That's what the Lakers um, have to be concerned about because Kawhi doesn't love that part of it. He doesn't like the drama and the circus. Part of when he left San Antonio after Tony Parker's public comments was he didn't want to be around for that sort of media onslaught, and it's not anywhere near in San Antonio the way it is in L.A. or, or the way they get treated nationally. Everything's amplified with the Lakers. That's the, one of the Clippers' best chances here. Besides taking care of their own business and the way they've kind of tried to build a roster to, to uh, attract some big players, they need Kawhi to look at the Lakers and say, yeah, that might be more of a spotlight, a glare, a little bit of a circus than I want. And then the Clippers, you know, can obviously offer a chance to, for him to go in with somebody else. And if you look at the Clippers' roster, they're, they're trying to get a lot of hard-playing guys like Patrick Beverly. and You know, guys who play hard, the two rookies this year, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander and Jerome Amundsen, are two lottery picks who they they'll start building around those guys. But I think the thought is when you're trying to attract star players, you want those kind of role players around who do all the dirty work, who do the things that star guys don't really – want to or need to do they need to be stars and so i think you're seeing the clippers try to align those kinds of players there and then this summer be able to be in a position to try to grab like to sell Kawhi on is there another guy you want to play with can we partner this up or you come alone and then next year we keep that spot open and we get another one next year but yeah i think that'll be the fight in la between those two teams it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays out
1: yeah, you're right, I mean, Bradley, uh, another guy, and I always forget when I look at the Clippers that Tanilo still on the team. I'm probably by myself on this one, uh, based on conversations that I've had and, and definitely being out here now, where you know, there's just so many people that are like, Oh, LeBron was always doing this. You know, i will going to do a trainer. I'll run into some somebody, you know, and I don't know if any of it's real or not, but but people are very convinced that this is what he was always going to do. Um, and I think after the fact, you know, I still believe that there was maybe a chance that if, if Cleveland could have pulled something off. Uh, I think we've learned that the Philadelphia thing wasn't maybe as real. Maybe it was more of a courtesy. Right. But I can't. No one will convince me that this this was the plan. That when LeBron was pitched on the Lakers, that hey, these are all the pieces that we're going to add. Because if you ever if you ever on a TV show recapping somebody's off season, saying oh, well, what do they do? Oh, well, they added McGee, Lance, Beasley, Rondo, and you know for all the Rondo love, the reason we call them playoff Rondo is because regular season Rondo is like that's that's a real thing. And he's admitted bailing on Most and the Dallas thing was a mess. I think he kinda came around with Chicago a little bit. And then he was absolutely outstanding in, in the playoffs again. But how's he gonna feel when he's on the bench and Lonzo's playing to close the game? Or how's Lonzo gonna feel? And then obviously all the other ball factors with that when Rondo's closing the game. So and I don't know how you play those two guys together. So I can't imagine this Lakers roster like this was the plan, but because they end up getting LeBron, I don't I'm not saying like, hey, we need to be more mad about this, we need to criticize this more but there's a real chance that this could be ugly and they'll still probably win north of 45 games. So you're right that it would have to be something toxic enough that it was around NBA circles that collide with, you know what? I don't want to deal with any of that stuff, but, LeBron's not going to be thrilled, and people kind of act like, "Oh, well, you know, he's just going to—he's out there to make TV shows." I mean, the guy's not done; he's not forty years old. Oh, he yeah, he's turning thirty-four. He's yeah, he's—he's too
0: competitive. All those things may matter to him, and I, they obviously do matter to him. Those outside things, but he's too competitive. Don't underestimate this in LA too. And like, there's a different standard you're judged by in LA, and the greats have all won championships there. Um, Some have won more than others, but that's the only way you're judged. And so getting the Lakers back into the playoffs and getting them to a conference semifinal or a conference final or or just getting in the playoffs, maybe in the first year there'll be some enthusiasm for that. It will go away very quickly. And LeBron, who at some point get to a point in his career where he needs to not carry as big of a load. It's remarkable at his age that he still carries the load, played 82 games, lots of minutes, maybe had his best season ever. He's going to need more help than ever, right? I mean, history just tells you he just can't keep going like this. And you need lots of help to make the playoffs in the West. It's not the East. And so I just think there's going to be a pressure that will come from that market. I'm not saying he's underestimating it or people, but but it's different there. And you're going to be judged differently. And they better get better. Like That team's got to improve next year.
1: Well, yeah, and I agree with the pressure thing. It's different. I mean, people can act like West Coast and relax, Like Lakers fans aren't relaxed about this at all. But I feel like I've heard whether it's—it's. It's, I think it's more in the media though. Like, oh well, you know, he's just there and he's fine. And I go, he's not—he's not here to take the year off, folks. So if it—it'll have a moment of turmoil, and you know, because he's great, he'll probably figure out a way to get through the whole thing. From a basketball standpoint, I feel like they have ten guys that are worried about their next contract, which mm-hmm. is a lot. Um, you know, we could sit there and say, hey, everybody's worried about their next contract. But, I mean, there are really like 10 to 11 guys that need to play. And then when you think about the lack of size up front, because you're not going to run DeVille out there for 30 minutes and you don't really know how Moe's going to play. Like, is he going to be a stretch five? I think LeBron maybe plays more power forward. I'd always heard that, you know, he was eventually going to try to transition into that, but that might have been with somebody with Kyrie still as his teammate. So, will he do that or will it be a close game? Where I was, you know, I kind of laughed a little bit when the Lakers said that we need, you know, LeBron is so great in transition with his transition numbers. We need to push the pace more and more and more. And you go, okay, but LeBron's the one that slows it down. He's the one that does want to slow it down and dissect your health and make you pay. Like he's okay with slowing it down. That's why, like that's why he's so brilliant because he sees all the stuff and he knows what you're going to do. And then when you try to trick him into some different help, then he's already figured out what you're going to do. And then he makes the play. So. you can talk about running faster. I I don't know that he's ever been that guy. Even going back to Mike Brown, they used to run a lot of stuff, but he would back it out 30 feet and and, then attack. So I don't know if he's going to defer and play big. Like, my guess would be he's not going to. I mean, he took a step back last year defensively to preserve himself, and it ended up being as as efficient a season we've ever seen offensively. So I'm not even knocking him for that. Uh, That Lakers group, which I think is a credit to Wolves, you know, younger teams that play really good defense are kind of rare. But we saw it with Boston. We saw it with Philadelphia last year. And the Lakers, to their credit, uh, with not a great team, competed defensively. So there's there's a lot of stuff about this that as soon as we, like, we celebrate, we just felt LeBron down for the Lakers. I think ever since that's happened, I've had way more questions than answers about how this thing's all going to look.
0: Today's episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Spotify. Did you know that every single episode of the Woj Pod is now on Spotify? Yes. The same app that has millions of songs now also has thousands of podcasts. On Spotify, you can listen to all your favorite shows and discover new ones. Just not too many. We get a little jealous here. To subscribe to our show, search for the Woj Pod, tap follow, and get every new episode delivered to you. Podcasts on Spotify, they're streaming right now and now and now. Does it surprise you, Ryan, that there's any question at all, almost a year to the day, a year to the week of the Kyrie Irving trade, that there's any question at all that Kyrie would not re-up in Boston and stay a part of a team that is built to dominate the East, not just win in the East, but dominate in the East with him for years to come, that there's some doubt about what exactly he might want in free agency?
1: Well, it doesn't surprise me on, on two fronts. One, I think he's a different guy altogether, and I know, uh, you know, how dangerous this can be by saying that on the podcast, and you're probably a little, because you have the, the power you have, you never want to misspeak on anything, but yeah, the conversations are out there that there are people that, that don't think he's going to resign, and I remember going back a year ago because it was really late in the offseason, right? So we're, we're almost at the end of August and Kyrie gets traded and you go, okay, wow, it happened. And my first instinct was was the wrong one. I thought he was deciding I want to chart my own course and I want to get away from LeBron. And then you go, well, like, why is this happening now? And with more information removed from that whole thing, I think Kyrie felt like, wait a minute, I was involved in trade talks. Like, all right, I'm out of here. So I actually sympathized with Kyrie more once I found out more information about how everything went down. But now to be in a place like Boston where – The entire organization from ownership of Wick and Danny being, you know, if he's not the best GM, he's in, he's in the conversation of the top three and Stevens, who may be the best coach in the league and this incredible depth and a player in Tatum who could be, you know, I'm talking not just an all-star, like something beyond that. Um, that why would you want to leave that cocoon? Like, why would you want to leave that and know how important? Like, it's real when it's in Boston. Guys that don't want to play in Boston end up playing there and go, wait a minute, you know, Now I get it. I think Isaiah and Jay Crowder had a real issue leaving Boston and going to Cleveland. They really didn't fit in. And you'd hear stories about Mm -hmm. them pining and missing Boston, missing Brad Stevens. Maybe that's fair or not fair, but um, nothing is going to surprise me with Kyrie.
0: Nothing. Yeah. And I think, listen, I still would take Boston against the rest of the field because I I would for this reason, because I still think in the end, there comes a moment of truth when you look around and you have to make a decision about somewhere else. And when you really start inspecting the questions that are in almost any other circumstance he'd go to, you'd say, boy, it's pretty good here. And whether New York intrigues him because he grew up in Jersey in the garden, I do think this, I think the Knicks will get somebody next year. I think the Knicks have put themselves in position where I think there's going to be enough movement. I think that max slot, like it's not going to be a, you know, like Phil Jackson was going to spend on Joakim Noah or, like they're I think they get a real, I don't know which one it is, but I think they're in position to potentially get a guy. Now, whether it's, of course, they'd love for it to be Kyrie, but I still think Boston is in position from top to bottom. And if he's healthy and that team achieves, I still think it's going to be really hard to walk away from this. And guys always want to make sure they have leverage and, you know, he's coming off the knee surgery and you want to make sure you're going to get exactly the contract you want. And I assume it's, If he's healthy, he just gets offered the full max, whatever you want. How many years do you want to do it? Whatever you want. That's the deal we'll do, whether he does longer or shorter, all those questions. But there's no question it's – he hasn't come out and said, hey, it's just a formality. I'm going to be here. And Kevin Durant hasn't done that in Golden State. And, you know, Clay Thompson has – I had him on the podcast at the All-Star Weekend this past year, and he kind of said the same thing, that he's been very consistent. And I want to be here. I don't imagine playing anywhere else. And I think if – the Warriors are in position to be able to offer him the full max right out of the gate and not have to try to maybe finesse getting him to take a little less to fit everybody in. If he got offered the full max, I, I don't know that he'd look anywhere else. If he got offered less than that, then maybe he looks. But Clay, I don't know that Clay is a person who's searching for something else. Um, some of these other guys seem to be searching for something. And I don't know that Clay fits into that. I think he loves what he has there, but... But it's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be a really – Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, who knows how it starts out this season there, but they may have to look at doing something with him. If they don't have a commitment from him, do they have to look at doing something with him by the trade deadline? Do they risk losing him for nothing? You look back, they gave up a lot for him. I mean, you know that deal with uh, the Bulls at the time, they gave up some really good pieces, and it's hard to let that walk out the door
1: for nothing. Well – you know, the Kyrie thing, if he's healthy all year long, then he knows he can get whatever he wants. And, you know, there's there's a weird debate about what if he has like a minor injury, does, does Boston have an advantage to pay him a little bit less? Uh, the New York thing, you hear in the rumblings the way you hear stuff. You know, you hear, I remember the first time I'd heard the Durant stuff, like, hey, you know, there's a chance he may bounce. And, you know, it could happen with Golden State. You go, whoa. This isn't as specific but I think there's doubt in conversations about him coming back, but there there doesn't seem to be that specific, hey, if it's not this, then it's this.
0: And here's, I, and here's why ultimately, too, Ryan, is the guys themselves really don't know. Like, I think it's yeah. very rare where a guy knows a year out, that's exactly where I'm going and I know it for sure. And maybe LeBron felt that way about the Lakers last year. Maybe it was inevitable. Maybe it was. But I think that um they're like anybody else in life. This has been my experience with covering free agencies and – They're like anybody else in life who's faced with a big decision and they have options that are just tremendous. They're all great. When you're in a, when you're an all star, you have options, especially in a year where there's lots of cap space and you're going to change your mind a thousand times. And, and almost all these guys, whether they stay or go, are going to go back and forth. And it's fun to talk about and we can, and listen, teams are planning for it. Of course they're planning their free agent strategies and putting lots of things in place that give them the best chance of getting these guys. They have to. But I do think generally, you know, guys, like they do think about it a lot, like this idea, well, I'm not thinking about it during the season. Of course you are. Like there's so much downtime. Um You may not be thinking about it when you're on the court or you're in practice, but half the rest of the time you're just hanging out. Like, I mean, you, of course you're thinking about it. That's human nature. But I think especially this year where guys could potentially partner up and teams could take two guys on or that'll make it I think even more interesting
1: I actually want to lead up to a question that I want to ask you Woj because you know I don't cover the league the way you do but you know I've been in it in Portsmouth and Orlando and all that stuff and and I've been really lucky to, to build some great relationships with teams and you know, the way cap space was kind of thought of before it was like all these moves we can make to potentially have cap space. And then you just thought like, oh, if we have cap space, we could pull something off. And really it was a place at the table and 90% of the teams ended up disappointed. But if they had nothing like sometimes front offices, which uh, strategically sell the fan base on, Hey, we get cap space coming in two years. It's like a distraction from how bad the team was. And <laughs> there's no question. And, and then, you know, you kind of think like, I remember Orlando, you know, hoping they were going to get Duncan and Grant Hill, um, and, you know, they end up with McGrady and the whole thing, and it doesn't work out. But that, like, that normally wasn't the way it worked, or the Knicks, thinking, hey, LeBron and maybe Bosh, you end up with Amari. Now it's, if Kyrie's going somewhere or Kawhi's going somewhere, nobody does it by themselves anymore, because they've had it. And so for all the heat LeBron took almost a decade ago, and, you know, for what Durant has done that people perceive as far worse than LeBron, it makes us kind of look back at LeBron's thing going to Miami, going, maybe we got too mad about that, you know, we, we've, the, it, we'd be desensitized to it. You know, these guys, the first people that did it, everybody got mad because you're yep. selfish, you're fans, you're emotional. But with the way the cap has worked and the way the max salaries are designed, which was to give the home team the advantage, but now the money's so astronomical, have front offices talked to you or have you talked to anybody about, like, what they thought they put in place to prevent movement has actually led to more movement because the money's so massive now?
0: Uh, that's a great point, Ryan. And, you know, the one thing was the advantage of the incumbent being able to re-sign his player to the fifth year, and then the seven and a, was it the 7.5% raises per year. You know, you can make more Remember, money by saying, and—
1: It used to be 12. Yeah. Remember, it was seven years and 12% raises.
0: Yeah. And then, of course, also the Supermax being able—you know, San Antonio would have— right. You would have thought that having the ability to pay Kawhi Leonard $219 million— would offset almost everything else, especially coming off an injury. And it didn't, and didn't help Cleveland keep LeBron, didn't help Oklahoma City keep Kevin Durant. And that turned out to be, and I hear it, and I just was talking to a smaller market GM about this the other day. And they had done a study about where all-star free agents had gone in recent and over an extended period of time. And it was really ultimately a very limited amount of teams. And I think, you know, the Marcus Aldridge was one, Outlier when he went from Portland to San Antonio. Part of it was he was from Texas. He was going home. He had a daughter there. That was a little bit of it. You know, he really the other place was Phoenix. He went to the Spurs for the most part. Though it's really been the inside of ten teams and two thirds of the league has no chance at these guys. They all and I, I hear it all the time that we didn't go far enough in collective bargaining, or the league didn't go far enough. I should say, and really. Creating more incentive in the smaller mid-market size and places for players to say, to make the financial penalty even more steep to go, to leave, to go to a bigger market that we've got it, that's how we're going to have to balance the league. But as long as guys are willing to take less and to take less security, because it always used to be about, well, I want to get the most years I can. And now the way it's set up is, no, I want to get back into free agency as quickly as I can or once I reach my 10th year or whatever uh, benchmark you're at, and I'm going to roll the dice. And even a player like Paul George, who had a career-threatening injury, his deal was unique, right? He can opt out after three years, and he gets three years of really big guaranteed money, and then he can do another deal in Oklahoma City, or he can opt out and go somewhere else. None of that has really mattered, and I think the league underestimated that, and players continue to be drawn to the big markets and drawn to try to play with each other. And to play with each other, to try to go with more guys for the most part, in a lot of cases, you got to take less money. And if guys are willing to take – like Golden State, this thing has worked because everyone, for the most part, has has been willing to take less money. Uh, Durant allowed them to keep the group together, keep some of the role players together by taking less money and in these one-year deals he's done. But he's on another one-year deal. And Durant has not committed to being there long-term. We didn't talk about him. You know, Kevin Durant is – Lots of teams in the league think he will be in play, and that there's a chance that he could be recruited away from the Warriors, and so I mean, he could re-sign with them for 200 million plus, and that doesn't seem right now to be the most important factor for him or for anybody else.
1: It's really a, a tough spot because you know you think back to how the maxes work, and that's why I always bring up that seven years and and the massive pay bumps, you know, when you started calculating out that double-digit raise on a max, and then seven years later, that was a huge number. So then guess what happens? The front office is like, hey, if we do a bad one, we're handcuffed as an organization. And it wasn't that every max player was deserving of a max, but your best player basically asked for the max, and you gave it to him. And that's the problem with really free agency in general, is that it's not what the guy's worth, it's when you have that money available, so you just spend it. That's right. And I've always wondered if there's a better way to do this, if there's, you know, modeling it after some sort of cap certificate so that when you have cap space, you can carry it over, maybe lose it or, you know, disperse it among the players. You know, I know they do that if you're not at the salary floor, which I don't think enough players know about. (laughs) You'll hear about a trade and you're like, do the players realize they just all last out on like a half a million dollars to get to the salary floor? Um, But, If you're the front office and you're the owners and you're saying these raises are too much and these deals are too long and you shave the seven down to six and then down to five and then essentially four and the mid-levels that used to be much longer and now you've made them shorter and then you've increased max money from you 17, 20 million years ago to now 35 and plus for these outstanding players, you can't complain that there's too much movement when you felt like the security of the old max deals was too long. So it's really... It's really the players, like, isn't this kind of what we used to always say? Oh, you know, these guys are only about the money. Now, granted, they're all making a ton of money, but if they decide, you know what, I don't feel like getting dumped on for my entire career because I didn't win. Mm-hmm. So I do want to team up with somebody else, and I do want to go win somewhere, and I don't care if I'm taking a little bit less money. I want to be happier. The money that Chris Paul turned down from the Clippers, was it like $250 million or something? Yes. And then the insurance deal that he could cover himself for, it wasn't for all of that. And this is somebody that suffered through some injuries, and he still was okay saying no to that Clippers money and then playing out the year with Houston and knowing that clearly we we're going to have to figure something out there. But I don't know that that was a guarantee. So these guys are actually risking a little bit more. And there are very few players that have any kind of injury that's so catastrophic that they're never planning again. But there are more and more decisions made that, Just fly in the face of everything we always believed historically about player movement, where you go, you know what, they've got the extra year, the player's gonna take that security, he's fine. The players don't care about security as much now. They don't care about every last dollar. They care about happiness and teammates.
0: And because of that, the players carry the power in the NBA in a way that I don't know that we've ever seen in any other professional sport at any other time. And you can look at football and we know where the power lies. It lies generally with the owners and a lot of it is, you've seen it in because the way how this anthem story has gone. That would never happen in the NBA. And part of it is, big part of it, right, is guaranteed contracts and the fact that injuries can strike, you know, there's a much better chance you will lose your career to injury or your career may be shortened by injury than in the NBA and but the star power in the NBA, they are bigger than their coaches, than their general managers, than their owners. And LeBron, and he gets back to your original point, LeBron, he deserves credit from a player's point of view, the players' association point of view. of He empowered players in a way um, that they really hadn't been before and used maybe had it but hadn't used it. And now at a time when you can uh, make so much money outside of, Being in a big market, you don't have to play in LA or New York or Chicago anymore to get a big shoe deal. Kevin Durant, LeBron had Russell Westbrook. You know, they have gigantic, monstrous, hundred million dollar, two hundred, three hundred million dollar, some cases, lifetime shoe deals. And they were able to do it without being in a big market. Those guys transcend
1: market. Yeah, I don't think it's about market anymore. I mean, LeBron's is a little bit more specific, and there were only a couple realistic, you know, landing spots. I remember when the first reports were coming out of, like, a list of eight, seven to eight teams. I was like, that's ridiculous. It's just, you know, there's so many teams on there that he's not even going to talk to. But, you know, Kyrie's another guy who started off in Cleveland with a massive, massive shoe deal. And his shoe's, like, one of the most popular shoes because, you know, he's smaller, and I think kids love him. Handle and all that stuff, and it, it really is about, The brand thing, like again, we used to, I remember when LeBron was up, you know what I did, and you'll like this, I went back and read all the pieces about LeBron's free agency in 2010 before he went to the Heat. (laughs) And it was a bunch of NBA writers like handicapping and there was one that was like sources from inside the Chicago Bulls who played a family guy cartoon with him (laughs) on the, I think it was like with him or it might have been Cleveland it was like sources said the beating went really good which puts the Bulls at the top of the list. And Brooklyn, you know, because it was one of the other jokes, like, don't underestimate the fact that Jay-Z, you know, is yeah. as, as a minority owner with the yeah. Nets, that, like, that's a big deal. And then, you know, your boy, Bobby Marks, say, yeah, a bunch of guys met with us because they wanted to say hi to Jay-Z. The only <laughs> to ever signed? Like, when Bobby tells those stories, incredible. But... I find it more interesting. You know, if I were a fan of a team and my guy were a superstar and I have to worry about him leaving every year, yeah, that'd be frustrating. That'd be annoying. And if I was the GM, I'd be mad. If I was the owner that put up all this money, I'd be mad that I wasn't more in control because those guys have been in control basically every day of their lives to amass that kind of fortune. But Mm -hmm. July has become this unbelievable sports month because of this league. Mm -hmm. And as you alluded to like, the names that we're going to be thinking about and trying to handicap where they're all going and the rumors that matter and the, the massive rumors that don't mean anything, it makes it fun. It does. And the NFL, like, if you were to say, you know, Brady, J.J. Watt, Antonio Brown, Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, you know, say six of the top 10 to 12 players in the league all had changed teams in the last few years. They would make the league What well, we'd stop talking about the anthem. We'd start we'd start talking about players.
0: Who right, who's the last like the biggest NFL free I mean, agency story I remember in my I mean, Reggie White that was a long time Reggie ago. Reggie White. Yeah. Right, Reggie White was like he took a tour, he went to cities I'm just trying to think and and pick Green Bay, which was like... Sports
1: Illustrated with all the... I think was it with all the helmets, I think, or something. And then we couldn't believe he ended up in Green Bay. We were like, what?
0: Right. And, you know, the ones in the NFL, like where the great quarterback changes teams, it's only at the end, like Peyton Manning going to Denver. But it was different. It was different. Yeah, because he was hurt.
1: He was hurt,
0: and they had moved on. They were moving on from him with luck. It wasn't like a quarterback in his prime... And I guess because maybe football market really doesn't matter. Maybe market matters even less in football. And I guess probably in football you can transform a team far quicker than you can in the NBA. If you're on a really bad NBA team and you're, you know, a really good player, you're a great player, you go, they can't fix this roster fast enough for me. Where in football, I guess, because contracts aren't guaranteed, it's easier to move, whatever. Like it's just a huge difference and it's more dramatic than ever. Between the two sports,
1: yeah, that's why the NBA, you know, the the Players Association, which I think deserves some criticism for, you know, if I were a player that wasn't up during these years, uh, I would have been mad about some of these contracts. You know, I still don't know that we've had a great explanation on how was it that you know 400 plus people would vote for something that kind of took care of a, a smaller percentage of people. During these cap spike years, you know, I don't know. I don't know if the players fully understood that um, when when they rejected the cap smoothing. And then, of course, because the owners in the league present the cap smoothing, then just by nature of the relation between union and you know management, you just you just go no. You know, even if it's a good idea, I don't want to agree with you because it's your idea and it's not ours. And and, you know, that's just how combative the two relationships are. But they can never give into a franchise tag. They can never give into that because that suppresses average annual salary for